Mr. Rainwater. Yeah, Joe. I have a statement that I'm going to make, and then I want your thoughts. Okay. Texture is a luxury of rich people. Interesting. When you say texture, you mean like like textile kind of texture? No, 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 no. Like, like how do you mean? The better something feels in your hand. Okay. So like or give me Okay, so the the real the way I'm looking at this is I'm a filmmaker and okay. if it were up to me, I would shoot on film all the time. I would not be shooting on video, ah. which is clean. But the rich people and the snobby hipsters who want to act like they're, you know, malnourished and stuff like that actually have nice giant trust funds shoot sure. on film all the time and have this wonderful texture. I yeah, yeah. am stuck shooting on video most of the time. You, as a hand artist, kind of, to be economical, need to do it digitally in order sure. to... I mean, and I'm not saying that's cheap, but it's cheaper than constantly going out and buying paper and pens and colors and refilling that particular thing it's a one-time cost it usually lasts yeah. you a long time but the texture that real paper canvas things of that nature supply yeah. um does give a lot to uh your art um but that's an interesting thing that you're saying because what you're kind of implying is that uh like physicality mm. basically like having physical objects is a luxury right because sure. nowadays Everything that takes place digitally is so cheap. Sometimes it's free, right? Which is hard to beat, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing <laughs> it's better than free. <laughs> that uh, you know, that's where all of the beginners go to, or that's where all of the you know um, people who don't have the money to like buy, you know, a giant thing of like film canisters, right? Like. I know uh, who I think it's I you would know this. Uh, Nolan likes to shoot most of his movies on nope, like, he, film. It's right? one, he's only shot on film. I don't believe he's, he's ever shot. he's ever shot a film digitally ever. Oh, okay. Not so e that yeah, not even like his indie I just started making movies movie. I'm pretty sure yeah. it was shot on film as well. That is like uh that is like uh, I, I don't know in terms of analogy, it's almost like the uh, farm-raised cow or chicken, right? Like the cage-free chickens, the cage-free eggs. Yep. You know that are more expensive in this in this analogy between cooking and like other art forms, right? Well, let's just point um, out the fact that you are the one that raised the cooking analogy for once. <laughs> <laughs> the best one I had. Um, <laughs> You know, in this analogy, basically, like, everything that is, that you can touch and feel, right, just, it costs more money. So, yeah, I, I would say I agree with what you're saying for the most part. There are interesting, uh, I don't know, I would say there are interesting areas where that isn't necessarily the case. Okay. Certain forms of, uh, you know, printing... Printing comics or printing like magazines are actually can be a lot cheaper than like having to buy, uh, like uh, <laughs> internet space. I'm like, what do you call this <laughs> web space, right? Sure, um, hard drive data, or you know, be like, there's got to yeah. be a server somewhere that hosts sometimes, it. So yeah, sometimes surprisingly, it can be cheaper, especially if you're doing all the printing yourself. Uh, there are definitely a lot of people who do print what are called mini comics, which is another way of just saying like, um, you know, like indie comics. Yes, basically. And oftentimes they are printed in a smaller size, but that isn't always the case. Uh, point being like, sometimes it is cheaper to do it that way. If you want to get into people's hands and certainly people love the physicality aspect of it because that is an additional, you know, sensory, Thing, that's what right? I, yeah that's what i was going to ask you about which i mean obviously from the title of this episode we're talking about texture today 
uh, and how it applies to art. So I was going to ask you, what do you think is the draw to texture? Because I don't, I, you know what I mean? Like every artist, it's not a, a subject that relative uh, that gets talked about a lot, but it seems yeah. to be like forefront with everybody when they talk about like a filmmaker, like they talk, oh, why do you want film? Well, the colors and the grain, you know, like immediately they start describing texture. Um so I'm curious to know from you, what do you think is the, the big draw about texture that a, why does everybody want it? And B, why don't people notice that they want it? You know what I mean? Like it's a weird hypocritical yeah. s- a topic. It's weird. Cause it's also, I feel like it's dependent on the, the medium too. Like, I don't really fully understand why. I mean, cause I do prefer, watching movies that do have like, you know, that, that have grain that have that, that film yeah. quality. Yep. Um, I think like, and we've talked about this before, but I, I enjoy a lot of older, like seventies movies because there, a lot of them are shot in a way where there is like the color palette is warmer. It's just easier on the eyes. Yeah. Like I, I definitely sometimes have issues with a lot of the like digitally shot movies where, a lot of times the digitally shot movies, like the, the coloration in like the, I don't know, the way it's done is just like too, it's too sharp. Mm. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Like it's perfect. It, yeah, exactly. And I think that's exact. I think that hits on it exactly. Cause it's like, it's the same thing that makes auto tuning like a hit or a miss for people. Like auto tuning if done properly is great, but if you do it improperly, it, it's like, what are you doing here? Like this, I don't want to hear robot voices for every single, you know, song or yeah. whatever. Right? Works great for Daft Punk, but it not, it's not going to work great for a country song most of the time. No. And so, um, I, I don't know. Argue, I would argue that it pulls the texture out of somebody's voice. Yes, exactly. And that's why I'm not that big of a fan of auto-tuning. Um, there's definitely somebody who I who have recently kind of gotten into watching on YouTube, uh, this guy named Rick Beato. He does a lot of stuff about, he's worked as a music producer. He's a, an accomplished musician in all sorts of other ways, but he has a pretty full thing going into like, okay, here's what you can use auto tuning for. And here's what you don't use auto tuning for. And it's really interesting to watch. Cause like, I don't necessarily make music, but I'd like to learn like, what are those, from a producer standpoint, like what goes into making those choices, right? Because the original, like originally, like the idea behind auto tuning was the idea that you could augment people's pitch to be to be closer to perfect if you had somebody who was just never, or I say pitch key, whatever. I'm not good at musical terms. Me neither, <laughs> but... so I can't even correct you. <laughs> um... Uh, so if you needed to adjust them to be just so, you could do that as a producer, right? The problem is, is it, it's, it's, it took off to become this thing that all producers did all the time now because it's like this... Uh, the, it's I, a cheat code. It's not just the cheat code. I was going to say, you know, like there are things where there's like somebody uses a trick in a film and then other, other people adopt that into their films or yeah. like how... For a long time, all all trailers after Inception had the Inception horn. The burn. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm guilty For of that, years. too. <laughs> I think like, they still do it, to be honest with you. They, <laughs> I've only recently noticed in, like, the last couple of years that, like, the Inception horn has been slowly replaced with, like, actual music, <laughs> like, in the trailers. Um, but that's getting off. That's getting a little off topic, I guess. Uh, I guess getting back to what you were talking about right in terms of in terms of texture so is everything all right over there yeah i dropped um, a roll of tape that i was just kind of meandering about with on my desk but i think i think part of it and and this is why i was talking about film being sort of sort of odd in this is that a lot of times i've the logic behind why texture is important is that it adds an additional immersive quality and so with film, that doesn't necessarily that isn't necessarily the case. It's actually like technically less immersive because it's not how you I mean it's not how I personally perceive 
the world from my eyes. Yeah, I don't see right? green right now. Like I'm trying to focus on things in front yeah. of me. It's 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 pretty damn clear. Um, yeah, like technically digital film, right, would be closer to like eyesight, right? Yeah. And there's some, I think there's some aspect to film grain that, like I said, I think it just, it might be that it actually makes the experience less immersive to a certain degree. Like there's a remove so that it's easier for you to get into what's going on, if that makes sense. Like if you got too into it too quick, it can actually be off-putting in the sense that I'm not ready to get this you know, into whatever's going on with Spider-Man or whatever. It's literally Inception, where you wouldn't know the line between reality and yeah, and fiction. You know what I mean? That's in front of you, and that's why they have the totem. So it's kind of like the grain on film is the totem, oddly enough, that we're talking about Inception. But uh, it, it's <laughs> it, you know what I mean? Like it's it's I don't yes, want to call it a barrier, totally... but yeah, it's yeah. it's one hundred percent like uh, a shield, I guess you could say, I, for your psych- have... psychological mindset yeah exactly i and, and i have this i have this theory that like virtual reality has not been adopted super quickly because no. of that issue because it's too real for people we're not ready for it no no i mean <laughs> I, it's true I, I think that's the case because if you if you were in that situation where like you no longer can properly distinguish between what is real and what is fake like that is and, you know, I've had situations like that in my life, and it's not fun. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a fun place to be unless you have the proper mindset for it. And, you know, maybe uh, a, a guide on that drug Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's film, you know, and that's like – and I don't have a proper category for this maybe group to put, you know, film, video games, television – uh, those kind of narrative type art forms into to say like, okay, for those in particular, um, there's only so far you can go in terms of how much texture, right? You, you add basically, at least right now. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, uh, have you ever gone to, um, Disney world and done like the honey, I shrunk the kids like 3d spectacular thing No, where it's, Okay. Is that uh, Cal- are like- you talking about California or Florida? Florida. I went to Florida once in my entire life. Uh, the only thing that I came close to what you're describing is something called Soren, which I absolutely loved. Um, okay, I haven't it- heard. I haven't heard of that. Soren was like an immersive. I don't want to call it a roller coaster, but it was kind of like a uh, one of those things that you sit on and the floor drops out from beneath you, or like you rise up. I don't really remember. Um, but what it was, it was like a giant IMAX screen in front of me that like encompassed my whole field of vision. Yeah. And then they used like blowers that I couldn't see to blow air at me that not yeah. only was a that differed in temperature, but also differed in smell. And you literally fly across like the Amazon and then like within a minute you're over the Arctic and then you're over the Sahara and that, you know what I mean? Like it literally was just like changing temperature, changing the, the speed of the wind, the smell of the wind, like the whole nine yards. And that's about as close as to what you just described that I've gotten. I didn't even know there was a honey. I shrunk the kids ride. This was years ago. I mean, oh. I don't. This was. This was like. Maybe I it's was, soaring now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because this was when I was in middle school. So I mean, this oh. was a long, long time okay. ago. Uh, but yeah, pretty much exactly what you were describing, right? Where it's like, I mean, it it freaks out everybody in the theater <laughs> because it's like too. It's like too much after a while, and fortunately, it ends. Because if it didn't end, then <laughs> you lose your mind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um i guess i could say like we'll group that that bunch of art forms right there and go to another one where it's like like sculpture you know sculpture is something where um you know technically you probably most sculpt sculpture pieces you shouldn't touch unless you buy it yourself right but um part of the allure of something like sculpture is that you can touch it it's something that you can fill physically, and, not if you yeah. ask the museum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say that you bought like a bronze, right? Like, um, 
uh, what the hell is his name? I think it was Dugas. I could be getting this totally wrong. Um, turn of the century artist. He had done a lot of bronzes that I, a number of people have, and I've had one of them at least uh, at some point that I got from my grandparents. But uh, what's really interesting is like, I think this is Dugas, but I'm not sure. Anyway, you can like see, because uh, these are made very quickly. And I'm not sure of the process that he did the bronzing in, but I'm going to assume that he probably started from a clay uh, sculpture and then made a mold and then made and then you know bronzed from that mold. But you can see like the the imprints of his fingers, like in the you know in the sculpture, mm-hmm. and you can see it's sort of in the same way that you can see like brush strokes in a painting. To me, that like that kind of texture. I love that because I can kind of see little bits and I can glean little bits and pieces of the process and me being an art junkie. I'd love to see that. I'd love to think about it. And it also kind of inspires me in a way where it's like, Oh, you know, what would it feel like for me to do that? You know, to, to me to make something like that. You, um, leave, you literally get to leave an imprint on there. It's not, you yeah. Know, you, we talked about this sometimes before about like uh, when we were talking about, you know, cheating in art or whatever, where you just punch in a number in the Photoshop and it does the adjustment for you and anyone can do that. I mean, you know, you have to be smart enough to create the random jumble of numbers and settings and so on and so forth to come up with something. But, but at the end of the day, the computer ends up doing the work. Like you give the command, the computer does the work. Whereas what you're talking about, not only are you giving your hand the command, but you are doing the work but with the brush stroke or, you know, molding the clay or whatnot. So it's a, it's a little touch of personality. And, you know, it goes back to what you talked about, uh, I think, way back on our first podcast about, you know, an artist's signature and their style and all that kind of stuff being important. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, it, it makes, it connects the audience with the artist. Even if you weren't an exactly. art junkie, you feel a little yeah. bit closer because it's like, well, I mean, it's like, you look at some stuff, I can get a replica movie prop, right? Or costumes or whatever like that. I can find the shirt or whatever, and it's cool. And I've got, oh, this is the shirt that, you know, Randy Warren Scream or some shit like that. And, oh, it's cool. But if I have the actual set production shirt that Randy Warren Scream, yeah. it's so much more. But why? Because you're a little bit closer to the artist that made the movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it doesn't have his BO on it anymore. I don't think after so many years, but <laughs> that he... would be another form of texture though, <laughs> <laughs> but he to touched it, right? it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it, it touched yeah. him. So now like by owning that shirt, I'm closer to the movie and that made yeah. that means all the more to me. So I think that's what you're really kind of getting at, right? Is that it, the, the texture is the imprint of the artist. No? Yes. I think, well, I think so. I mean, I, I like where you're going with that because there's another form of texture that, and I think this was something I thought about the when we first discussed this subject, which was something that I really related to when you brought the subject up was um, there's a whole genre of like music streams on YouTube that are based in, almost entirely on the texture of them. So like uh, Vaporwave uh lo-fi chill like lo-fi stations in general that's lo-fi is entirely a texture right it's the idea that you're listening to something uh either through like an am station or like through a like a tape cassette but the idea is that the the quality of the music you're listening to is actually a lower grade quality and for some reason that adds this texture to it that gives it more of a like an authenticity or whatever. Absolutely. And that's something that I've noticed become kind of popular in a lot of music that, you know, people are, I guess, are inspired from all that, you know, and they're implementing it into, um, into songs more intentionally. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not really like, it's something that really interests me because I like, I can't quite place why I find, like I, why I find it appealing, like why I find that sound appealing or like why I like um, like listening to like Japanese city pop, which is like the 80s type pop. 
from Japan. Um, I, I think it just has to do, I, I think it's largely nostalgia, you know, on some level and the, the sound of like listening to something either through like a record, right. Through vellum, you know, that had or not vellum vinyl, um, that had, that adds like an extra step in that nostalgia. Like this is another interesting thing that I heard recently on a, an interview. Uh, this is going back to Rick Beato. He did an interview with Brian May from Queen and Brian May was making a comment about he was really fascinated to find out that in the UK, record is out like records are outstripping CDs because people want that texture that comes from the record. There's and the way he was describing it too. There's an additional experience of like you, you pull out a record. You also have the album, the album or the album cover, right? The album cover itself is like another part of the art experience, right? Uh, you can hang it up on the wall or you also get like, you, you know, a big thing of like liner notes and stuff that you can read through while you're listening to the music. It's an entire, it's experience. an entire, yes, yeah. exactly. Right. It's an entire experience as opposed to like, you know, just listening to Queen on Spotify where it's just like, oh yeah, it's Queen. And then you move on with your you, day. Yeah. You find out the, the next thing on the mix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't think I had anything of oh, okay. use to say. You should go forward. I was going to say, when you were talking about that kind of um, lesser quality type thing, I don't want to call it an error, right? It's not, it, but it, it goes back to the whole, the, the topic of something being perfect, not being yeah. appealing. Um, I was going to ask you, do you watch professional wrestling? Every once in a while, but I'm curious where you're going with this. <laughs> When you watch, do you watch it live or do you watch the the? I've never watched it live. Not not like in person experience live. Just no, like the live airing on TV, or or you just watch like a, a rerun or something like that, like an old show or something. I, it's usually reruns. Okay. Yeah. I uh, occasionally will well, like I I watch professional wrestling. Don't get me wrong. Um, I do not watch professional wrestling. When it's been pre-taped. Now I'm talking about something that has not aired yet, but has yeah. already happened. Yeah. When it happens live, I'm almost 99.99% watching. And that's simply because there's room for error. And yeah. there's something exciting about that. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know right. what's going to happen. Right. And I mean, if it's pre-taped, I can Google it and, you know, there's yeah. tw 20 dirt sheets that already have it. But the yeah. point is, but it, it's not necessarily like, oh, somebody broke their neck or, you know, somebody jumped the barricade or some shit like that. But literally the element of error and surprise adds that excitement to it. So to me, when you listen to something that's perfect, that's got smooth you know, vocals and it's got the echo and the reverb and all that studio fanfare and all that kind of jazz. Yes, it can be enjoyable, but there's something about that room for error that comes on when you hear like a live performance, even if it's like a concert CD. Yeah. It's got that. It made you pay a little bit more attention to it. Right. And that it's, it goes back to the idea of something being imperfect. Um, because even in a live concert, they're not hitting the chords exactly the way they should all the time. You know, they're sweating, they're tired, the weather, maybe the, the fans, maybe they've had a couple of drinks. Like, like there's a whole lot of variables that go into it and that changes the texture of their singing, how fast they're playing their instruments, how hard they're playing their instruments. If their instruments are plugged in all the way, like there's all kinds yeah. of variables that kind of into it that make it imperfect. And that adds texture to it. And I think that texture is what everybody kind of goes for. I mean, I don't know. I want to say that, like, <sighs> texture is imperfection. You know what I mean? Like, because it kind of is. It's a spontaneity. When you look at texture, like, yeah. like, yeah, it's very soothing if something is perfectly textured where you can just, like, braille. Like, if you know what I mean? Like, if it's just perfect. But if yep. it's imperfect, that like, you feel it more. Does that make sense? And that's because you're, again, you like rub your hand over it a little bit more because you're looking not necessarily for the error, but for the thing that's different, the thing that's unique. Yeah. And it, no, I definitely, I definitely get what you're saying. It there. adds the well, chaos and the, from the uniformity of 
perfection. I, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's, that's just, <laughs> just me kind of spilling brain in a random train of thought right there. But I feel like texture and perfection are are somehow linked to one another. And that's that's really what it comes down to, right? I think so. Uh, what I was, what that got me thinking about, certainly, when you think about like, uh, when you think about like wood, right? Like something that is hand carved versus something that's like machine carved. Like, let's say, I don't know, you get like a bed frame, right? Sure. And you get a bed frame like somebody made by hand versus like an IKEA bed frame. Mm. Both could be made out of wood, but the IKEA one's just gonna it's not gonna feel like anything because mm. it's it's been machine carved, it's been Everybody uh, else has it. Yeah. It's intentionally made to be like exactly like what you like you were just saying, the same thing throughout, right? Yeah. And you, and it's certainly uh, a part of the reason why I like listening to radio a lot. I do listen to a fair amount of radio during the day when I work. Um, and part of the reason I like that is if I find a good station, especially like a freeform station, it's because you have like line lineups of DJs who come on. Each DJ has their own particular like eccentricities, interests, uh, their show is tailored towards those interests and you get to learn about them every time you, you know, they come on, right. You learn about them a little bit. It's live. So like you're, it feels very intimate. Like you're there with them Yep. Even though it's a, it's kind of a one way conversation, but it, there's this term that's come about recently that I kind of relate to that's uh, parasocial, right? It's the idea that it's not really a social relationship in the sense that, they don't know who the fuck you are, but you know everything about them, yeah. right? Yep, or you know as much as they're willing to give away. Celebrity, yeah. Yeah, and um, that's certainly part of the experience of of radio that I really appreciate, and the experience with a lot of streaming. Like, streaming is also very radio-like in this way. And I think, you know, venues like Twitch, our YouTube streams have become very popular because of that same sort of or even more so because people can now like chat, right? They can talk back and forth with the people who they're interested with. And that is like a whole other realm of immersiveness that wasn't available in radio, basically. Um, So when you say you listen to the radio, you listen to like AM FM or are you talking about online? Uh, I'm listening to it online, but the stations I'm listening to are generally like FM stations. Oh, okay. So it's just they're yeah. picking up the stream of, of whatever it is that yeah. they're doing. Okay. Because, yeah. like, when I listen to a station, it's basically a playlist. Like, they sure. call it a station, but they just yeah, hide yeah. the playlist from me, and it's just, you know, the songs. And I've listened to stations like that, but, yeah, it can be. Like, there's not a lot to it. Yeah, it's a very sterile experience. Like, and, and most of the time they play the same songs. It's just, like, the real fucking radio. But um <laughs> it really is there is but you know what i mean like that's the 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 beauty of like an am fm station is that yes they have their playlist that the the their overseers give them and say okay we gotta play stairway to heaven six times this yep. week and da, 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 da. but every once in a while the dj will interject a song that they love that you may yeah. never have heard and you know like and it's just one of those things that that's when that's when you get lifted Right. Isn't that like the difference that when it's in the grain of the playlist, that song breaks the texture. And that's when, you know, that's when it becomes imperfect because it's like, oh, I've listened to these fucking same songs, you know, (laughs) every week they play these same songs because it's a 70s station or whatever like that. But all of a sudden uh, a DJ comes along and says, hey, this is one of my favorite songs from the 70s and we don't ever play it, but I'm going to play it right now. Boom blows your mind like that's the that's the beauty (laughs) of that kind of texture of changing you know the pattern right because that's another thing that's important in texture is patterns um oh i would say it's almost like because a lot of the things that we think of as like natural textures they are patterns they're just like patterns nature kind of devised over time you know over however million years of evolution or whatever like think about the texture of like a leaf right that texture is like all the like veins that carry, um, I, don't, I don't know what it is, the fucking juice, you know, <laughs> that they use to, 
that they use to like transport solar energy and do photosynthesis and all that stuff. But for us, you know, it's just like, oh, that feels nice. You know, like I, I have a tendency when I go on walks to like pull, like every once in a while, pull a leaf off of a tree just to feel it, just to have some kind of like texture to feel. Um, and that's like something I've done for since I was a kid, you know, because it's just like I it's one of my favorite little textures, basically, you know. Um, so it's something that I don't really I personally don't do a whole lot in my own work. I was just about to ask that. I was just going to ask if you were ever tempted to synthetically imply because you can't have texture in uh in like a 2d digital realm or whatever but you can imply texture so i was curious because a lot of filmmakers and i'm guilty of this myself um will overlay you know grain film grain and stuff like that onto their video in order to imply that texture there um to try to fake it because it's cheaper going back to my opening statement um, I'm curious to know from you though, I, like you kind of already answered it, but if you've ever been tempted to add like a, a canvas, like a texture overlay or whatever, cause your art is pretty clean and that goes, uh, I mean, I, you did garage Raja on paper. I do remember seeing you do Graj Raja is pretty textured actually. Yeah. Like it's easy to be textured when you're doing pen and paper because the paper is always yeah. going to try and speak out, right. you know, like. Um, there's a technique with, uh, traditional inking called, um, uh, what is it called? <laughs> it's called dry brush. So basically okay. the idea is when your brush is low on ink and you're still making lines with it, uh, it's going to pick like, there's not as much ink that's going to be deposited on the paper. So you're going to get little bumps in the paper. So like, it's useful to use if you're doing effects for like smoke or if you're using it for maybe, maybe you want to do a, a half grade between black and white, you know, uh, those are usually some of the best opportunities that I've seen that kind of use of texture, you know, used in a, used in the comic illustration. It's weird because it's actually like trying to duplicate texture digitally to me is really difficult like i don't i've seen a lot of artists who can do it and i'm impressed by it because i don't really know what they're doing like i don't know how they're mimicking it (laughs) i know that like there are different kinds of brushes that you can get that mimic different interactions between either brush and paper or mimic different styles of brushes different mediums etc etc but even then, I'm still like I still struggle to kind of mimic it in the way that other people can do super successfully. Um, I still every once in a while I'll have some panels where I am doing that, but it's not it's not like um, it's usually because I'm messing around and I want to see I want to experiment and try something out. You know, um, I've had panels where like I'm definitely using texture to create like an effect. You know, like an effect that would uh, communicate like, oh, what's happening is like either something magical in a certain way or is breaking the reality in some particular way. Um, I've definitely done that for transitions between our transitions into dream sequences. I'll use like um, like a kind of a watercolor effect, Um, but not beyond that like i haven't really messed around with it like a huge amount um so for you i mean like it's using grain but i mean did you have do you have any other things that you've used in the past not not when i'm doing like film stuff no i've never thought to um overlay any kind of other textures onto something i mean that's an interesting question because i've and i'm just now starting to think about what would happen if i did do that um you know what i mean but the 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 problem is is that there's already so much going on in filmmaking with editing and camera movement and things of that nature like you know what i mean like a blur is like you when you do a whip pan or something like that or you tilt up too quick or you dolly in or anything like that like that kind of stuff is creating a texture that you're not necessarily cognizant of because your brain interprets the image, like the blur on the side. It's like, Oh, okay. We're moving forward. Like they understand what that texture is saying. 
Um, but like the idea of overlaying like a wood texture, it would have to be on a small scale and so almost imperceptible unless you freeze frame and then zoomed in and you were standing in a movie theater that you could pick up on it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, cause yeah. and, and then even then I'm, I feel like it would make people feel like they were on an acid trip. Like <laughs> if, even if they weren't why, like if they weren't aware that it was there, it would fuck with them because on a, on a subconscious level, I think they would pick it up. Right. And they would just be like, something's off. And usually when something feels off, but you don't know what it is, that's when people dislike it. Like people yeah. will like texture if they are aware that it's there and they, they can own it. Like they understand it. But if it's not, if it's not perceptible and it's there, they will be upset and angry, mostly because of frustration, because they're trying to figure out what's different and they can't get, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and they might seem unintentional too. Like, that, yeah. And, that's and if it doesn't seem intentional, then it's like, Oh, like what did they fuck up? <laughs> like, Oh well, yeah. And it, it comes across like we've talked about it before about, you know, lazy filmmaking. Like, and that's yeah. the number one turnoff that I think a lot of audiences have is like, Oh, they didn't care. So why should I? Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, the, a lot of that thing, it, that would be very experimental and trippy. I would have to play with that. And I would, the problem with that is we always talk about, you know, your art becomes your babies and I want everyone to like my kids. Like I don't, I don't, I want them to be the cool kid. I don't want it to be the, you know, the kid in the corner that's crying and feels left out yeah. and, you know, rejected because then they're rejecting me. Um, <laughs> but it is an interesting thing to think about. Like if you, like I could see, I don't know what filmmaker would do something like that. It would really have to be like an out there experimental thing. Like I could see Banksy trying something like that if he made a film. Um, I could see it from like a mainstream point of view. The only person I could really see doing something like that is like Edgar Wright. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I could see him trying to look at texture or something like that. Maybe like if you... Uh, the only filmmaker I can think of that really kind of digs in on texture would be Rob Zombie. Because if you, okay. subconsciously, not even thinking about it, if you've seen two or three Rob Zombie films, if I talk to you about Rob Zombie films, immediately you feel like you need to go take a shower. Like, <laughs> sure. you know what I'm sure. saying? Like, it's got yeah. like a dingy, grungy feel to it. And no one's really saying, oh, there's like specks in it, blocked the camera, and I couldn't see it, and I did it. But there is a texture that kind of comes through the cinematography, the editing, like there's probably an overlay there that we're not perceptive, uh, like picking up on, but there is a texture there. And as soon as you think about it, like you hear Rob Zombie film immediately, you can, you can kind of sense that texture, but you don't see it. It's weird. Um, I can't, do, do you, you're, you look like you're biting your tongue. Is there any filmmakers you can think of that? Like I have an implied texture that, you know, just are associated with. I can't think of like specifically cinema, you know, like I can think of a lot of stuff from like adult swim shows, oh. like, uh, like, uh, Tim and Eric show. Like they do a ton of texture stuff to imply like a lot of the thing, a lot of the thing, a lot of the skits that they're shooting are like done on like video cassette. And that lends, like, and it works for a lot of things where it lends, like, a certain amount of, like, oh, like, was this done in a closed cable kind of situation, yeah. you know, which adds credence to, like, the weird comedy. Like, it would make sense to watch this maybe on, like, some <laughs> some closed cable television show at midnight. And uh, that is, like, to me, it's, like, I don't know if that show would work otherwise because you need that sense of you need that sense of like something's off from the very start like it's so off from the very start that it's like in the actual or how you perceive the medium right mm. when you perceive it as older and like maybe even more incompetently done it's easier to like laugh at it or feel like it's yeah it's it's for the purpose of humor but uh, i can't think of any I can't think of any filmmakers off the top of my head right now that have really applied it, you know? Um, I Like I said, this is stuff that I've seen in more, like, uh, for lack of a better word, like, avant-garde or, like, newer or more amateur 
type uh, creators, basically. So, um, and then, like I said, you know, uh, beyond that, it's what it brings to my mind, actually, that's kind of, I've been thinking about this a lot, which is, um, I maybe I've already talked about it on this show, but nevertheless, uh, the music producer and musician Brian Eno had said this some time ago about uh, the the flaws and glitches in older media eventually become the like the foreground interests of like newer media. Okay. So like kind of going to back to what we were talking about, right? With video cassette, like the video cassette, like um, I don't even know what you call that when it's like the I guess maybe the tapes are misaligned or whatever, and you see the little thing like the it's like a grid or, or electric grid run across the screen. I don't know what to call it, like the stripe or the strip. You talking about like a, a digital representation of the audio? Not the audio, but the visual. Like if you like if you're watching like an older cassette, or like if you tape over something, you know, there's if you tape over something, there's always like this one part where you can tell like it got taped over because there's this. There's this electric strip that goes across the screen for okay. like a moment. I think I know you what know you're what talking mean? about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that gets so mimicked like nowadays because people want to mimic that effect because it does create a nostalgic like uh, switch for people our age particularly because we all grew up watching shit on VHSs <laughs> and I grew up like taping Dragon Ball Z episodes so I could rewatch them, you know, weeks later. And so, um, you know, that that's become like an intentional thing now that's added to to movies when people want to make that effect. Or like I was saying earlier, like lo-fi, you know, like it's now an intentional thing. And I'm curious, you know, to think about what will be the intentional textures of the future that are like glitches nowadays, right? <laughs> I mean, digital noise is one of those things that, you know, already is, you know, you can download a template that will add digital noise to something if it's too clean. <laughs> so, like, it's already there. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I mean, you literally everything is available to you. You could add, like, a a setting, uh, you know, like a drag and drop template onto something and blow out the whites and the highlights or, you know what I mean? Like, you can yeah. you can fuck up your art intentionally however yeah. you want these days with like drag and drop settings. So I really, I don't know what it would be literally. Uh, the only thing I can think of is going to come like... around and fuck up your hard drive. Like, like I don't know what's going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. I think that's all I can think of is like uh, stuff like algorithms and things like that, where it's like something goes screwy right in the presentation or like you end up getting, um, you know, referenced media or whatever that, doesn't really match what you want, but you can kind of see the logic in it or whatever. Yeah. Um, that would make sense in like video games, right? Like if you did a video game that was set in, if you did a virtual reality video game that was set in 2020, but like in 2030, right? So 10 years from now, yeah. Uh, maybe that will be the thing that like, you know, becomes intentionally uh, picked apart by future artists. Because that's like, you know, something that they were thinking about when they were, you know, teenagers or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess going back to sort of the beginning, right, of what we were talking about. So, I mean, I think I like what you're saying in terms of texture as imperfections. And I think that's interesting because it kind of implies also that the like reality reality is imperfect is imperfect right like reality is like um chaotic it's unpredictable it has like all these like little uh bumps and scratches and scars and you know all the little all the little imperfections that come from just time and change and all that stuff and that I think part of why that also intrigues people because it is so hard to mimic because you have to think that through in a very 
intense and intentional way, right? It's, yeah, it's organized chaos. And it yeah. can't be it can't be too organized and it can't be too chaotic. Like it's it, there's yeah. a balance that falls into that. Like it has to be believable, but it also needs to be spontaneous. Like it's just it's it's the biggest hypocrite of any art um per, not perspective, art attribute. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's got to it's got to it, there's a delicate balance of uh, of chaos and organization that's going into the texture. And if it's, you know what I mean? Like it, you want to feel the artist, but you don't want it to be so disconnected, but you want to be disconnected. Like it's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's hypocritical to its core. It's so weird, but we crave it. And that's the weirdest thing. Cause like you watch something like the star Wars prequels and everybody always has the same argument. It's too clean. You know what I mean? It's, it's to the point where it's like, you know, somebody has come through with the fucking Windex every 30 seconds and wiped down these windows. Yeah. And it's like, uh, that would never happen. But then, you know, you go in the other direction. And it's like, oh, it's way too dirty. I couldn't see anything. Like, people, you just can't fucking satisfy people sometimes. Yeah. But when it hits, though, it, it that's when it hits. It's a grand slam. Everybody's happy. It's like, oh, we found that balance. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Um for me, texture is always going to be important. It's something that I'm cognizantly trying to understand better in my medium because filmmaking, yep. it's, you know, like we talked about the grain and this and that, but um, it, it's, it, it affects color. It affects the lighting. It affects uh, editing, oddly enough. Um, you know what I mean? Like there's so many things that it ripples against and uh, it's one more thing that has to be balanced and I don't think a lot of filmmakers take that into consideration when they're doing, you know, they drag and drop like a, a fake film grain onto their thing or whatever. Like there's a, it has to work within balance. There has to be an organized chaos to it. And I'm currently, because I don't believe most people think about it like this, the way we've been talking for the last hour, I don't think there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, put the film grain on it. Done. Like, they're not yeah. looking at it after the fact and going, oh, there's too much film grain or the film grain's going in the wrong direction or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like all these things, it is, it's another, it's an actor, it's a light, it's a sound effect. It's it's one of those things that has to be managed uh, in a film process and it has to be in service of the story and the characters and the overall atmosphere that you're going for. Like, the whole nine yards. And people disregard it as just a thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's just, yeah. a, you know, it's just part of it. Oh, there's nothing I can do to control it. Well, you can control it a little bit, and you should because it goes back to your signature. Oh, you know, Andrew looked into it, and he found out film grain only goes in one direction. And so he realized that a lot of the drag-and-drop film grains, you know, go in one direction but not exactly the right direction, and that's why a lot of people pick up on it when you get a cheap one and – you know what I mean? It's going north yeah. instead of east. And like that kind of stuff matters. So at the moment, I'm kind of ever since last week's podcast, I've been kind of researching. I haven't gotten into an answer yet. So don't don't <laughs> don't get your <laughs> expectations up. But I've been, you know, trying to research the idea of how texture works within film. And it's very interesting that I can't find shit. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm I'm currently I feel like I'm at the forefront of a new discovery somehow, um, but that's exciting and you know what I mean because if I can crack a secret, yeah maybe I'll share it with people. But for a while, yep. I'm gonna definitely capitalize on that shit and people are gonna be like, wow, something's different and awesome about your 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 shot design or your film or whatever like that. And so if I get to the forefront of this discovery, then people are gonna be asking me, you know, how'd you do that? Which is what they used to do. When, you know, I made Ghostface and Michael Myers disappear in my first little project by just doing a crossfade between a shot with them there and a shot with them not there and all that stuff. And they were amazed by it. But I feel like that's something I enjoy doing as an artist is kind of, you know, exploring things that maybe others overlook. Um, yeah. Because I feel like it gives you an edge, which is oddly enough a texture in itself. But yeah. um you know what I mean? But that like things like that make a difference. And that's that's what as I think what we as artists should be doing is trying to find those new frontiers because everything, you know, they feel like it's oh, it's all been explored and it's all figured out. It, it hasn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, like every right. day it's changing. And 
I think when I do whatever my next film is going to be, like that texture is going to be something I'm going to pay attention to because I think it does lend itself to atmosphere, which is the big thing that I'm I'm humping at the moment is atmosphere, and I feel like texture is a giant part of that. Um, you know what I mean? How film grain affects, um, like a fog rolling across the lawn, yeah, or uh, the, even just the sweat or the blood on somebody's face. You know what I mean? Like if you get into a close up, like it adds something to it, man, yeah. and it it feels more lifelike and grounded and allows an audience member to suspend their belief just a little bit more than they did before. And that's, that's, that's the high that I'm chasing. Yeah. And I, it's, you know, in older movies, it would almost be impossible for them to be able to do the special effects that they did without film grain. Cause it was the film it, grain that allowed, it allowed things to kind of merge together in such a way that it wasn't so obviously like yeah. a guy in a suit or a matte painting or like, I've watched a lot of older films. I'm like, 4k tvs and it's like <laughs> oh that's rough yeah like <laughs> i've been doing the same thing actually and it, it absolutely does kind of ruin it a little bit you would think that they would go in and maybe change some of that like george lucas that shit but um sure. <laughs> i don't know anyway uh so we've talked about texture long enough i will be shocked if anyone has made it through to the end of this episode um but this was fun. Uh, this is a, a topic that I think we can put to bed until at least I make some kind of life-changing discovery about texture and feel like I want to share it with y'all. Um, so I guess I'll wrap it up. Next week, we are starting spooky season. Uh, it's going to be a lot of horror film shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Halloween type stuff. I have been waiting for this ever since we started this podcast. Uh, to be able to go full peacock and just spread the feathers of my <laughs> my horror loving uh, full bore. And now, Mr. Rainwater, you are not a giant uh, horror guy, correct? I want to get into it, but I I, I have a hard time getting into most. I I don't even know if most is the right word. I really like John Carpenter films, uh, and that's kind of where it ends often for myself. And maybe I just need a Maybe I just need to dig in a little deeper. Maybe we'll just know? do a Q&A where you ask me questions about how what you should start with, what you like. Oh, I like that idea. That might be a good topic for us to yeah. do. Uh, but we're going to be talking about all things horror and and Halloween, which I, I, I need to impart that there is a difference between Halloween and horror. Like They always oh, yeah. go hand in hand, but um, you can do Halloween without the horror sometimes. Um, so that's going to be fun. We're going to talk about a lot of fun stuff, so stay tuned. Anyway, uh, we will see you guys next week. Thanks for checking us out.